From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 433. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and StoryWorth. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. How have we been doing this for 433 episodes? How is that possible? Just one episode at a time. Yeah, that's all you can do. I mean, unless you need to record extra. Anyway, yes, in one episode at a time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you always do one episode at a time, right? Even if you're doing extras, it's always one at a time. That's true. You you do one and then you do Mm -hmm. the next. You can't take it more than... If you try to record two podcasts at once, I don't advise it. I think it would be a disaster. Yeah, bad idea. I have a hashtag snail talk question for you. It comes from Rick, and Rick wants to know. Well, Rick starts by saying, Jason, I loved the T Rower episode of the Thoroughly Considered podcast. I also have finished oh, it since we you. last spoke. It was a very good episode. Rick wants to know Do you partake in and enjoy iced tea? Oh, boy. Uh, sure. Iced tea is fine. Um, if I have leftover tea in the teapot, like let's say I make tea for upgrade because mm-hmm. uh, I, I want my voice to be clear and not having my throat being cleared every five minutes and the caffeine caffeine delivery is important you know caffeine delivery to make me talkative and uh, also to to get the phlegm out of my throat but oh, i might God. have some left over mm-hmm. what might i do with something like that what might i do the answer is yes i might actually drink it as iced tea uh, and in the summer sure we've got a you know i've got a little iced tea i actually have an iced tea maker <laughs> Which is not as high tech or nice. Mm-hmm. It's a big plastic contraption that you stick. You put water in the in the in the plastic contraption and ice in the bucket in the pitcher, okay. and you press a button, and it basically just boils the water and runs it through a little steeping basket. It's it, I hadn't really thought of it, but it is basically a a, a sort of low end tea robot for iced tea. Uh, we do have that, and so uh, I, yeah, I'll, I'll do that too. That's that's fine. Sometimes with lemon, sometimes not. Mm. Sugar, you sweet, yeah, yeah, yep. There is yep. something truly special about like really sweet iced tea. I mean, for me, it's Memphis where where I've enjoyed it's this Memphis. the most. Sure, that's because and... they 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 make it that way. Oh. Most outside of the South in the U.S., generally you need to supply your own sugar, which I do, and it's never as good, right? Because you got to get you get the granulated sugar, and it has to dissolve, and it's never as good. But in in the South, they just use the simple syrup. So they just put, just pour it in. It's instantly dissolved, and it's this sweet thing. It's great. It's amazing. I've said this on many occasions. I'll say it again. If I lived in the South, I'd be dead by now because <laughs> of all the barbecue <laughs> and the sweet tea. It's absolutely true. I would be gone. But you'd be dead happy, though. I would because barbecue is my favorite food, and um, sweet tea is a amazing drink, and it would. it's not, yeah, I don't recommend it. If you would like to send in a snail talk question for us to open an episode of the show, just send a tweet with the hashtag snail talk or use question mark snail talk in the Relay FM members Discord. I have a couple of items to follow up. So I was complaining uh, or was questioning how good like Siri commands were to get lights to turn in and off, uh, on and off with like when you're in a room. Eric wrote in to say that if you add in here to the Siri request to turn on or off the lights, it does a remarkable job of knowing where you are and acting accordingly. Because I was not convinced that it knew which room I was in. So Eric suggests to try this. All right. Uh, Should I try it? Yes. Turn off the lights in here. Okay. Which room? Living room? Jamie, outside, um, garage, 
Sorry, Eric. Didn't that didn't okay. work as well as you the wanted? The lava lamp is not responding. Okay. Check the home app for more details. Oh, no. <laughs> well, well, after after I told it what room I'm actually in, which mm-hmm. it doesn't know because it was my watch. It was not on a HomePod. It did actually turn off the lights in here. So I'll give it that. I, th- I think the key is the, is, is the HomePod part. The lava lamp. Right. Like, oh, that it's a device that has some kind of idea of where it is. I think that's probably the key part. I think that's it. So, so maybe it does work. It just doesn't doesn't work with the uh, the watch. But if I if I had my smart assistant on mm-hmm. on a HomePod in here, yeah, okay, that's a good tip, Eric. Thank you. What I want to know though, Jason, is what's happened to the lava lamp. Well, you know, it, funny story. I woke up on Sunday morning and our Wi-Fi was down. Ah. Okay. And so, the, and this is like, I was, and funny, I was just listening to the ATP episode where they talked about Lutron Caseta switches and how the great thing is that it's on its own network. And so, it, you know, Wi Fi is the thing that makes home net, networking and home, smart home devices um, uh, not reliable. And I got to get that firsthand because what happened is I have a, a UPS, an uninterruptible power system, on uh, for my. Uh, router and my Wi-Fi so that if the power goes out, the router and the Wi-Fi stay on. And this is my oldest, I think, UPS that I have. And its battery died. And the UPS's decision when the battery dies is to take all the devices that are on the plugs that are backed up by the battery and turn them off. And so at three in the morning, uh, my Wi-Fi and my fiber router were just unceremoniously shut down. And so I had... in my pajamas, I was like, what is going on? I diagnosed it. I, I got out. I pulled out the UPS. I put in a power strip. I plugged it all back in. But I'll tell you, some devices, some Wi-Fi-based smart home devices do not like it when there is a power cycle like that. Hmm. And and so I have been, and the, the lava lamp will be next, uh, the lights outside in the backyard didn't come on. Last night, and I'm like, I know what this is, and all I literally all I did was I unplugged them, and because it's a smart outlet, unplugged and replugged the smart switch out yep. there, and then they worked. <laughs> like I had to reboot uh, Homebridge because it was confused, and the undoubtedly the smart switch that the lava lamp is plugged into just needs to be unplugged and replugged. At which point it will get back on the network that's back up and has been back up for ages now. But they just get really confused, and this is what we talk about when we say that relying on a Wi-Fi network for your smart home devices is a problem because sometimes the Wi-Fi network gets kind of out of whack. And the devices get out of whack, and then you know you you have to power cycle everything in order to get it back yep. together. As opposed to something like uh, the Lutron Caseta stuff, which uh, is working fine because it's got its own radio network, yep. and they talk to themselves, and they are connected to the rest of the house, but they don't rely on the Wi-Fi to stay up and running. I wonder if some of these devices, like with that kind of turning off the power like that almost treat it like a reset like it may trigger like a you know like they think that you've purposefully reset the device or something i think what's happening is that the smart home devices that are on wi-fi are dumb and they lose the network and they go oh no and then they never and and they until you reboot them (laughs) they don't Mm -hmm. know how to reconnect to the wi-fi network that went down Mm -hmm. that seems to be what's going on here like, oh, no, I, I don't know what to do. Well, you know, this happens on networks all the time. You should know what to do, but they don't. 
And so then you power cycle them and then they come on and they go, oh, where's my Wi-Fi network? There it is. It's been there all along, stupid thing. But that's the, the bad ones are like that. The, I think there are good ones that aren't like that, but the bad ones are like that. Yeah, I can I can definitely empathize because I haven't had internet for like seven days. We had internet. Now the internet's gone away at the new place, so there's no internet anymore. Uh, and it's kind of made the home uh, network a bit of a disaster, including all of our smart <sighs> stuff. So you had it and, and then you lost it. We were using the previous owner's uh. internet because we wanted to sign up, but they weren't canceling. So I just right. decided so you set to it set up. up my network. Then they canceled it. And now we're waiting to get reset Installed. up again. Yeah, which hopefully will be tomorrow. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, when it comes to internet service providers, I never actually believe anything that they say until it's done. So right. we'll see what happens there. But we're having an issue now where, like, we need to, uh, like, be off wi-fi to have a connection to the internet but then we need to turn on wi-fi on our devices so we can turn off the lights <laughs> right uh, uh let's do just some follow-up here yeah turn on the log up oh come on oh hey nearly turn on the lava lamp you got it coming right up okay ladies and gentlemen the lava lamp is on and all i had to do was take a smart outlet unplug it yep and plug it back in. Perfect. That's it. That's what it takes. That's it. What not so smart, is, is it? You need to put the smart outlet on a smart outlet so you can turn off the smart oh, that's outlet a, for uh, the smart mm, outlet. And then, mm. then you'll be good to go. Yeah, it's it's just, it's dumb. Speaking of which, Jason, I, I saw an article today. I think you might be excited about this. Philips Hue Christmas lights. Ah. Like string lights. Mm-hmm. This is a new product. Uh, it's available today. I actually bought some. Uh, I think this is a great idea. It's 250 mini smart LEDs on a 20-meter cord, which can be used on a Christmas tree, stairway, mantle, or more, says Mac Rumors. Hmm. Interesting. Fun that, that is what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. The idea of having some uh, smart, controllable LED. I'm sure there are lots of cheap ones out yep. there that are not Hue-based. And these aren't cheap. It's $160. But yeah. I've had... Nothing but good things to say about the Hue line of products. Uh, so I think this might be a fun little thing. Plus, I'll say my wife, Idina, just loves these kinds of lights. Like, we've always had, like, what we call fairy lights. Fairy lights. Somewhere in the home. Um, so these won't just be used at Christmas for us, I think. Uh, but during over the Christmas period, we, we can put them around the tree. So I think that'd be nice and cute. So Festavia. Festivia. Festavia. Festavia. I don't like the name of that, but I, I was thinking it would be Festiva, but it's Festavia. Festavia. That's the Dutch for you. German Germanifying everything. Mm-hmm. Like that. Festavia. Yeah. That's it's a sign Festavia. Indeed. Speaking about the festive season. Festive season means an important thing around around here. It is time to vote for the ninth annual Upgradies Awards. Yes. You can go to upgradies.vote and you can put your votes in now for the ninth annual Upgradies. Voting is votes, open. The nominations? Yeah, nominations, nominations votes, votes, nominations, votes, you know, something like that. I mean, you know what we're saying. Uh, is now time. So you can the, the nominations are, are open. You can go and fill out the Google form. Voting is open from now until December 12th. So you have about a month. Um, as a programming note, 
Uh, we have condensed some categories this year. So we previously had an iOS game of the year and a game of the year. We now just have game of the year. So we're bringing that together. And previously we had three podcast categories. We had best tech podcast, best non-tech podcast, and best podcast newcomer. We now condense this to just best podcast, which is one podcast category now. But as a note, we had had some previous Lifetime Achievement Award winners, uh, the Accidental Tech Podcast and the Flophouse. So they are going to continue. They they are not eligible for winning. So it is not worth making that nomination sure. uh, because it won't be counted. So they're going to continue being Lifetime Achievement Award winners. Uh, we encourage you to recommend maybe your second favorite podcast if either of those is your favorite. So we're going to now just do the one overall podcast of the year category. Uh, this is partly to bring it in line with the other categories in this kind of block. So we do of the you know of the year. And we you, you can just choose right. You just choose your favorite, and we're just going to go with it. Uh, you can find previous winners at Upgradies.com, um, which uh, the wonderful Zach maintains for us. And uh, the changes to these categories will be reflected uh, at some point in the not-too-distant future on the website. So mm. that is, uh, we're getting ready. I think we're going to be probably, I'm expecting, we haven't set this, but I'm expecting December 19th is when the Upgradies will occur. Um, because December 26th will be the holiday special, I expect, is what we'll be doing. Oh, really? I thought it would be the other way around, right? That that It's either going to be December 19th or December 26th. We're not, we have, me and Jason have oh, not had okay. this conversation yet, um, but you have a month to, to do the voting, and it'll be one of those last two episodes of the year. What if it's January 2nd? Yeah, I don't want that. Okay. I like to do it in December. But we'll see. We have we have some scheduling to do mm -hmm. as well, yeah. right? There's yeah. a lot of holidays happening there, as there always are. That's why I wanted to get the voting going now. Yep, um, that's a good so idea. We had enough time, and so then I'll have enough time, depending on whenever we do it, to get the uh, uh, the the tabulation complete. Because there's a lot, lot of work goes into that. I wanted to put a request out to Upgradians. Oh, so. In the house move, I'm kind of redoing all of my home automation stuff. And I've decided to kind of do what I can to focus on going all in on HomeKit this time around. Where previously I'd kind of dabbled with HomeKit and Amazon Echo, that kind of stuff. But my, my goal is that all of the smart devices that I buy will be able to tie into HomeKit and then if I can tie them into other things with Matter or have integrations, great. But like HomeKit is the goal, right? It's just the system that I like the most. And then if I have all of these devices in HomeKit, then I can automate them to do interesting things together. So I was look. I would like if if uh, Upgradians have recommendations, you can send them to me um, in the follow up in uh, channel in Discord or send them to me in Twitter or whatever. Uh, I would love to know products that you like. Um, I will say not Akara products. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, or if you have YouTubers that you enjoy, blogs, influencers in, in like home automation focusing around HomeKit, I would love some recommendations for people. Uh, the reason I mentioned Akara, so 
I got on a I got on a car a hub so I could use some of the leak sensors that uh, David Sparks recommended. But I also have a HomeKit alarm system by a company called Abode. So this is like a it's like a four alarm system, kind of like a ring or something like that. But it's it's all tied na- uh, natively into HomeKit. The problem with Akara is their hub works. It it tries to it it tells HomeKit it's an alarm system, even if you don't use it for alarm system stuff. So then I have two alarm systems in one HomeKit, which causes tons of problems. I have learned because then you kind of have to set both for this. It's like a whole nightmare. So Akara's I don't think is going to work for me unless they have a hub that does not tell HomeKit that it's an alarm, which is odd to me that its hub does that because you can set Akara stuff up like an, you can you can buy all of Akara's sensors and turn it into an alarm system right like that's kind of what they're doing but it's odd to me that it will only let you do that or not and so if you have some kind of HomeKit alarm system and so part of the issue I'm having is you know you have these like categories at the top now of HomeKit right so you've got like lights and stuff like that where it tries to you can tap them it takes you to each thing if I set my HomeKit alarm system, but not the Akara because I'm only using it for leak sensors, it tells me that my alarm system is disabled even when it isn't. And so like at first glance, that's not helpful to me. So mm-hmm. I then would have to set both of them and that's just a nightmare and I don't want to do that. Um, so anyway, I found leak sensors that actually just tied directly into HomeKit. I'm going to try those out as well. But uh, So if you're going to tell me about Akara stuff, I kind of can't use it unless you can also tell me that they have a product where it doesn't do this. My Googling has not helped me to try and find something that doesn't do this. So, yeah. I would love recommendations, though, if uh, you, you enjoy stuff in the HomeKit world. Yes, I've checked out many episodes of uh, automators and Mac Power users, so assume I've got that. But uh, I would like from listeners, too, if they have any recommendations. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything. Your products, services, even the content that you create, Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you'll be able to use insights to grow your business. If you've ever wondered where your site visitors and sales are coming from, or which channels are most effective for you, you can analyze all of this in Squarespace, and when you have the data, you can improve your website and build a marketing strategy strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. And then once you've done that, you can encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers of Squarespace email campaigns, starting them on the journey to becoming loyal customers. You just start out with one of their really great email templates. You customize it just like you do their website templates for applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. And also, of course, there are built-in analytics to measure the impact of every send. But if we want to go right back to basics, Squarespace has really powerful blogging tools to share photos, videos, and updates. You can categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. I love how Squarespace will basically let you work with anything. They have the tools that you will need for any type of website you want to build. They have fantastic support. It really is the all-in-one package. I've used it now for over 10 years, very happily. They're the best around. 
Go to squarespace.com slash upgrade and you can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code upgrade to save 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash upgrade. And when you sign up, use the offer code upgrade and you will get yourself 10% of your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So shall we do some rumor roundup, Jason Snow? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I've got a couple of things for you. Digitimes is reporting that the production of Apple's mixed reality headset is set to begin in March of 2023. Looking at high prices, low quantities, currently expecting around 700,000 to 800,000 shipments a year. Quote from uh, Mac Rumors, who's reporting on this too, despite low profitability on production of the initial headset, Apple's manufacturing partners are said to be willing to work with Apple on the project to prove their technical capabilities so they'll be well positioned for future AR VR products. What do you think about this? Uh, this product is so strange, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is, again, like low quantities. So are they setting the bar low here? Are they going to be like, well, this is really a first crack at it? And like, I think it's funny because I've always said Apple Apple always wants to sell millions of anything it makes. And here we are talking about low quantities under a million. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it makes me feel more and more that this is more of a tech demonstration and a developer product than it is. A, a, and maybe they'll, they'll, you know, sell it into some industries or something, but like that it's not, a consumer product they don't expect it to be a consumer product and they're perhaps even knowing what the price is they want to it's interesting that they want to ship it and call it a product but also that they uh, may set expectations pretty low for it i think it's uh i think it's i think it's interesting because the other choice would be if you only think you're going to be able to make less than a million of them don't ship them but i guess that's what the story is going to be and when digitimes says they will produce it starting in March of 23. It does really make me wonder about the timeline of when this is going to be announced and when it's going to ship. Cause you and I have said for a while that it will probably have its own event. And I think that's probably right. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder at what point the message becomes very rapidly about it being a developer environment for a future Apple platform as well. And that, um, that it becomes more of a developer story. And you're getting, you know, if you're starting to produce them in March, you're getting perilously close to a just announcing it at WWDC. So I've had a new thought based on this, like just reading these rumors. I could imagine now like an early 2023 announcement. They start the production and then there's a big developer focus on it in June at WWDC. It's a pre-announcement explaining yep. what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then it ships in June, maybe, along with a lot of talk yep. at WWDC about it. Maybe. I mean, that's what... Because this is... Let's be honest. Like, who who's buying this thing? Who's buying this thing? It's not meant for the masses, clearly, at the price that it is. And they know that because they're apparently, according to this report, not even expecting to, to make a lot of them and ship a lot of them. So what's the purpose here? And I think the purpose really is that Apple thinks this is a platform for the future. And so it wants to get developer support behind it. Yep. Uh, and, and, and that's why I keep thinking it's kind of a developer piece of developer hardware slash maybe some targeted industry slash obviously people who just want the cool new thing. 
and that's what this product is and and it it's not it's not the one for the masses it's it's a couple generations away from being the one for the masses um yep i wonder if the uh reception to the meta quest pro which has been bad i mm-hmm. think yep uh that people are like it's not really that great uh and it's so expensive and i feel like it's maybe this is just me because i have a a, a quest 2 but it feels a little bit like the shine on that old product <laughs> remains where they're like, but this thing is fine and it's way cheaper and this thing is so expensive and it's not that much better. I wonder if people who are working on this inside Apple are also looking at that and saying, yeah, we're going to need to do a cheaper version of this real fast if we want people to use our platform. Because right, if you're a developer, it's great that maybe Apple saying the future is we're going to do mixed reality and AR and VR and here's our first one and we want you to develop for it. But part of the developer story is who is going to buy the work that I'm doing? Who's going to buy the software I'm building? Because developers aren't just making a living selling developer apps to other developers. Right? Like there needs to be an audience for it. Who is that? And when are they going to arrive? And if I'm a developer, it's great if you give me a $2,000 headset or you sell me a $2,000 headset now with the idea that this is going to be the ground floor of Apple's next great computing platform. Okay, Apple. All right. But what is my expectation that this is going to be a product for the masses? And one way for Apple to do that would be to say, or or at least to be plotting in the background that the product that they're going to release in 2024, at least one of those products is going to be a more affordable version. And maybe they offer the high-end version as well as a more affordable version. I don't know whether they're going to say, nope, it's $2,000 or nothing or what. But like, if I was a developer, if I'm James Thompson and I'm like, finally, my Apple VR calculator slash Dice app is going to happen. And, you know, James loves this new technology stuff, but if it's a $2,500 headset and he has no reasonable expectation that anybody is going to be a regular person buying it in the millions until 2024 or 2025, that's a tough calculation to make beyond your pure enthusiasm for Apple's platforms. So I'm, I'm still pretty skeptical of this, and I'm only more skeptical of it since the Facebook product, the meta product, seems to have sort of been rushed out uh, in order to beat Apple to the punch and it has come out with a thud, that's not great. Like that, Because Apple's going to be way more expensive. Yeah. It seems like Apple, uh, Meta's issue is the software rather than the hardware. I, I, I'm not saying you're saying anything different, but like that the hardware is fine. The hardware seems fine, but that there's no nothing appreciably... I, I mean, what I was struck by in all the reviews is that it's really more a nice Quest, uh, Quest 2 mm-hmm. and like... I, I think a lot of the reviewers are like, okay, so, right? And like, but for, for what? Like, could you have done a nicer, a Quest 3 with color cameras and a little bit upgraded screen, but it was under $1,000 and would that have been a better product than this thing where they seem to have spared no expense, right? But you're mm-hmm. right. It, it, it's it's not just that the hardware, the hardware seems okay. Uh, they made some questionable decisions. I think there's debatable things in the in the choices that they made. But what really seems weird is that people try it and they're like, okay, but is it that much better than the other thing? Um, and and the answer seems to be not really. And I wonder if there's a lesson there for Apple that like, <laughs> oh yeah, you might like a $500 VR headset, but wait till you see a $2,500 headset. And the response is going to be, no, 
I don't see where that extra two thousand is in value, right? Like I, I know that it's yeah. there in the hardware, but it doesn't provide enough value for anybody to care about it. And I think bottom line is nobody, you know, you don't. There's no such thing as a million plus millions millions new platform product that's a VR headset for for twenty five hundred bucks, right? Like it's not. That's not going to happen. It has to come down. So. I don't know. I think it's a real challenge if you're a developer, if you're uh, and you've been thinking about developing for this platform. Apple does really need to make the case that this is the future, and that eventually a lot of people are going to buy them. Otherwise, what you know, not even developers are going to. Why develop apps on a platform that's so expensive that only the developers developing apps can buy it? Right? There needs to be a an act two there. And what is that? Well, maybe it's this. Mark Gurman is saying that Apple was looking for software engineers to further their work in creating VR environments and the ability to watch video in the headset. Two quotes from uh, job listings via Mark Gurman's newsletter. Quote, the, uh, the most interesting job listing is one that specifically calls out the development of a 3D mixed reality world, suggesting that Apple is working on a virtual environment that is similar to the metaverse, so don't expect Apple to embrace that term. And... Right. Build tools and frameworks to enable connected experiences in a 3D mixed reality world. Mark also references Next VR, which was that company that Apple bought a really long time ago now, mm-hmm. which they were like filming sports games and stuff like that. And Apple acquired that company for, it seems like, technology and deals and all that kind of stuff. Sure. I mean, they're laying the groundwork here. I, I think... I keep coming back to the question of what's the product that people mm-hmm. are going to buy and what's the reason they're going to buy it. And and the fact is nobody's made a breakthrough VR headset. The Quest 2 is probably the one that has broken through the most. And at, uh, for a while, their meta had cut the price. And I don't think that would be considered even a hit product, but it, it is at least a viable product. And I know that there's some stuff like the the HTC Vive. And I mean, there, there are a handful, but this is not a category that's lighting the world on fire. So I appreciate that Apple seems really committed to building this thing. Um, that's great. And maybe they believe that really has to have all of this stuff in order for it to be viable. But the hardware, there have been no reports, right, that Apple is expected at any point in the near future to make something that is going to be priced in a way that lots of people are going to want to buy it. And that's mm-hmm. troubling to me. Like as much as much as they put into it, because it, it takes both, the calculation is complex, right? The calculation is not just like, what do you do with it? But, and then what do I pay for it? And Apple seems to be working really hard on the, what do you do with it? And what, what can it do? Mm-hmm. But the other part of it, like, it just isn't there yet. And what surprises me is that Apple seems to be devoted to releasing a product so early that it's not a product that anybody should buy <laughs> who isn't working in VR or software development. And that's that doesn't feel like Apple to me, but that may be where they are. So this actually like it 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 goes back to I think what you were saying about Meta a moment ago, right? With the with the Quest Pro of like are they getting it out just so they can be Apple? Are, are, are Apple going to release this product because they think they have to right now? And if they do, if that is what they're doing, that is not a 
Right. That is not the Apple that we have known in the past, right? Where like typically there's this old adage of like Apple wait until they've got the thing that's going to leapfrog everyone else. Right. So you've got to hope that they've got that because if they're doing this because they're like, oh, well, you know, we've kind of got to get into this market so we like can stake our claim. That's not the right way around that they normally do things. I think part of the motivation here is that there is a competitor out there that views VR as at least has up to now. We'll see because, you know, um, Meta has changed. They laid off a bunch of people, including some people in VR development. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg has gotten a lot of criticism for the amount of money he's putting into it. But he's up still to now, pressing Apple's, on it, though, even with those I layoffs. Know. And Apple is looking at a competitor that almost views VR as an existential crisis for their company, that Meta's future is VR. And Apple looks at that and says, okay, they have raised the stakes here. And if we don't get into this game now, even though it's early, it's too early, if we don't get into this game now, uh, we'll be too far behind. And I'll point to like the fact that Meta keeps buying. It, it The Quest has been a, a successful enough platform that it's allowed I, uh, Meta to identify successes on VR platforms and buy them, right? Mm. We've talked mm. about this. They bought Supernatural, the exercise thing. Uh, did they I don't buy think Beat that Saber? one went through. They bought or, or they tried Saber. to buy Supernatural and then there were yeah. questions about it. So this is like, Meta really wants to control this. And if you're Apple, I could see strategically, you're like, we got to get out there. Even if it's just a developer kit and it's not something for the masses. What they risk messaging-wise is coming out with something nobody wants and everybody's saying, oh, it's a flop. And never revisiting it, right? That's the that is the danger is that they're not gonna because it's Apple and everybody pays attention to Apple. I'm not sure Apple can sneak a product by and say, well, it's not for you, right? Like it's like if Apple tried to come out with the only Mac that they made was a Mac Pro, mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm, nobody's gonna use the Mac then, right? Like it's just not gonna happen. I mean, maybe some people at the very high end will buy it, but like that's not a viable platform. Or if the only Apple Watch was the Apple Watch Ultra, right? But like that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, but if they feel like they have to be out there, this is. I'm going to be really interested in how, with how they talk about this because one way you could see this product release is we believe in the future of VR and so we have decided to make the the best VR headset ever made and it's early in the growth of VR and we expect that this will mostly be of interest to industry and developers right now but in the future this is going to be a huge market and so we're going to get started now and if they if they talk about it in that way and really try to set the bar honestly very low <laughs> then maybe I can see it. But mm. I do think that they're being motivated by the fact that there are big pocketed competitors who um, who feel like they have to do this to survive. And Apple doesn't have to do this to survive necessarily, but Apple doesn't want to let this opportunity get away. And so yep. you end up having to raise the stakes yourself to match them. And the reason we're here and the reason we're having these conversations is look, everyone's looking for the next platform, right? Like that's everyone's looking for it. Right. And Facebook didn't get a phone, no, right? Facebook doesn't it. have a platform. They, 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 they tried and failed, and so mm -hmm. now they want the next one. And this is the only one on the horizon. Like, it might not be the next big platform. It might not. But there isn't another one, right? They, there just isn't one. In fact, I, I would say, I said this about the, the car like five years ago, and I'll, I'll say it about VR. It's hard actually not to believe that it, at some point, if we play the infinite time scale game, yep. it's hard not to believe that the miniaturization of technology will not continue to the point where 
the devices get smaller and smaller and we have more subtle inputs on our bodies and direct input into our senses via yeah. glasses or contacts or whatever it is or lasers and drones mm-hmm. that fire lasers in your eyes. I, I don't know. That. I don't want that. But part. like, um, but uh, <laughs> I don't want it, but maybe it'll happen. So it's hard if you if you put on your like uh, I'm a futurist that kind of hat. It's got a, like a propeller on it, but it's a futuristic propeller. And you say long time scale. I think it's hard to argue that uh, integrating more directly with senses is not a strong possibility as where the future of. Mm-hmm. of computing devices goes. I, I mean, not necessarily. I think there's biological reasons why it won't be, right? It's hard to get into the eyes because you have to have something hanging in front of your face. And that is not easy. But in, you know, and so maybe people will reject it and prefer little screens and stuff that they can hold and that and fold and unfurl and all of that. But I don't know. I think it's not a bad... What I'm saying is I think it's not a bad bet to make if you're a tech company that has so much money that you don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And you know that it's not going to be... Like the iPhone, Apple was able to kind of do on their own. <laughs> but now it's like everybody knows this is the category. And so you're either in or you're out. And the stakes mm-hmm. are really high. I don't know if it's... Uh, let me put it this way. For Apple, I think it's a good bet. Because they've got the money and they don't want to be left behind. And, and become irrelevant. And they've got everything you need. They've got the operating yeah. systems, they, the they have apps, they have app stores, they have the integrations of other devices. If they didn't do this, if they weren't doing this at all, I'd be worried, right? Like, it makes sense for them to try. Yeah, Apple is a rich guy at a high-stakes poker game. Yep. Facebook feels like it's like a super sweaty guy who has put in all of his money on this bet. And if, it, and if he doesn't win... <laughs> well, I mean, they're also very rich. He's though. bankrupt. <laughs> They they are, but I I am Not a lot rich. less confident in in their other businesses surviving into the future as I am uh, it, Apple's business. Well, I think surviving that well, into the future. I don't think you're wrong there at all, and I think that's why they're doing this anyway, right? Like I think I think yeah. Zuckerberg knows that he owns declining businesses, like they're very exactly. powerful, but they're not going to continue going up, right? And if I'm Apple, it's more like this is a hedge against. This is the one technology that could make the iPhone irrelevant. So we need to put money into this as a hedge, yep. right? That's yep. what it is. Yep. But I don't think it's unrealistic in the long run. But but I'll also point out that people were talking about, like Doug Engelbart designed the mouse in the, what, late 60s? And so you're talking about 16 years-ish before the Mac was the first kind of viable product to popularize the mouse as a thing and i just keep being reminded of like and there was networking in the 60s and the 70s but it didn't really go anywhere until the 90s and personal computers started out in the 70s but weren't super commonplace like ubiquitous on everybody's desk in every office until the 90s right so you're talking a lot of times these things Everybody knows that that's where it's going, but it doesn't mean it goes there fast because of all the technical reasons. Even (laughs) if we move faster with our tech now, I think it's not unreasonable to look at this VR stuff and say, it's important to be here, but like, is Apple going to make the iPhone or iPod or whatever of VR goggles in 2025, in the mid-2020s, in the 2020s? And I don't know if that if anyone is, I mean, this this could very well be everybody spending a lot of money to be the last one standing when they finally can get the technology where it needs to be in 2030. 
And uh, that is not something that like it's going to make the press coverage of the meantime of all the money being spent on this pretty brutal. But I, I'm not convinced that AR and VR isn't that far off. Well, I will say, because it's just kind of funny on time, uh, the original Oculus Kickstarter was in 2016 mm-hmm. in January. So it's mm-hmm. been nearly seven years since that. You know, I, I, this is just, I think that was like a funny thing of like, Oh, it took 16 years. Well, we're about halfway from in in that idea. So another five or six years. Right. Yeah. I mean, it could happen. Right. But I, I'm, I'm just saying that I think that there's some perspective here about like, don't necessarily figure, like, it's hard to look at this stuff and say, oh, yeah, it's right on the verge of being popular. And it's yeah, going to go yeah. through a cycle like personal computers did. Um, which I, I think not like smartphones did. I think smartphones happen a lot faster where people are like, oh, wait a second, that my phone could, let, let's do that. Like, I, that's going to be my next phone. But personal computers, it was very much like, it's expensive. It's for hobbyists. It's for universities. We're going to try to expose kids to it in school by having one, uh, just one <laughs> that pe- kids will cluster around or take in turn right like and then and then it was okay some businesses are going to have a few in a few places and then some people who've got enough money like uh media moguls are going to buy power books and that's going to be a thing but that it it really did take a long time to get to the point where it's sort of like there's a computer on every desk and everybody's got a laptop and every you know every house has a computer like it took a long time for it to grow like that because you had to pen it, you had to get the prices down and have the uh, reason that you would do it up to the point where you could get there. And in some parts of the world, it never got there, and the smartphone is what got it there. So that I, I just VR feels a little bit like that to me. I don't feel like we're on the verge of a VR breakthrough here. Mm-hmm. I think that this is all about companies spending a lot of money to shorten that time to a viable product. But in the meantime, you have Apple coming out with a $2,500. Uh, you know, headset, and it's just—I don't know. It 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 could be a very cool product, but like, how cool is it if nobody is going to buy it, right? Like that—that's mm-hmm. not part of the part of what makes a product successful is that people buy it, right? It can't just be good, even if it's good. If nobody's going to buy it, it's a failure. Just as a clarification uh, from the Discord, the Kickstarter was in 2012. The last update was in 2016. There Took many go. years to ship. But the idea of like, well, it's been 10 years now. It's been 10 years since the Oculus Rift. 10 years since the Kickstarter, right? But that was since it was viable, right? They were talking about the viability thing, not release, right? Because you know, we're saying that the viable design of the mouse was 16 years before the mouse was in wide use. So it's just, it's fun. I wanted to mention one thing, which is I don't want to sound like I'm down on VR because I think that VR has some uses. I have said on here before, I have a Quest 2. I like it. It's nice. It's not great, right? It's not like, oh my God, the resolution, everything's kind of grainy and all that, but it, it works really well. The head tracking works well. I never, I never feel kind of like motion sick in it. I think it keeps up the illusion remarkably well. And it was relatively cheap. It was relatively affordable as a as a kind of a under the Christmas tree uh, present a couple of years ago. Um, that's that is a reason to be optimistic, I think, because it suggests that there are compromises you can make to make a product that is more affordable. And there are a lot of games on it that are fun. And I feel like they're figuring out 
with that product sort of what is good on a VR headset. And it's a standalone, which is really nice, as opposed to the PSVR that I had that was, you had to tether it and there were a million cables. There's a lot going for it, even though uh, it has not set the world on fire. I think that there, I think that I'm encouraged by the success and quality of that product. And it says to me that while Apple and Facebook seem to be building the high-end headsets here in order to show the possibility of this, there's room for more affordable mm-hmm. headsets. And I hope that Apple dares to go there, right? Because I think that that's going to be required. I think you're going to need to have... The uh, Mark Gurman keeps talking about the Apple Reality Pro and Reality One as the name for these products. I would say I think it would be good for Apple to have a Reality Pro and then follow it up with a Reality One, <laughs> if if you get my meaning. Yes, and the definitely. Reality One would be a lot cheaper mm-hmm. than the Reality Pro. I, I think they need to get there. And I'll just say before we move on to I am. I think even more than you, I'm more optimistic about this as a, a platform just in general in technology. Like, I don't think that AR, VR is necessarily the next smartphone, but I think it's the next tablet, the next watch, right? Like, I think mm. it, is a, it is, a, is, a, is a market with a lot of potential. Right. Another $20 million, $30 million yeah. a year business for mm-hmm. Apple in, te- in five or 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And I, I am personally more uh, uh, into mixed reality and VR than pure AR. Like, I worry a yeah. little bit about pure AR, like constantly visually connected to a computer. That I don't like so much. I like the intentionality of the bigger headsets, but we'll see where it goes. But that's not all on this for today. No, there's more. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at StoryWorth. When the holiday season rolls around, you want to start thinking about finding a unique gift for your loved ones. And finding something special can get more difficult every year. So this year, why not give the people you care about StoryWorth? StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve memories and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that helps to connect you to the important people in your life. Every week, StoryWorth will email your relative or friend or loved one a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast options. Each unique prompt asks a question that you may have never thought to ask but will be curious to know the answer to, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or, if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? After one year, StoryWorth compiles all of these beautiful stories, including photos if they're added, into a keepsake book that you'll be able to share with others in your family and revisit for generations to come. And reading the weekly stories can help bridge the distance if you've lived a long way away from your loved ones as well. I've run through StoryWorth questions with a loved one in the past, and I'm always so impressed with the prompts. They have, as I, like, as I gave in these examples, this fantastic way of helping to draw out stories that you may have not heard otherwise before or heard told in that way just because of the way they ask them. I think this is a fantastic gift idea for someone in your life. It's also one of these things. It's like a gift for them and for you and for other people in your family, depending on who it is that you give this gift to. And it's a way to continue to build the history of your family that can be kept and passed on. With StoryWorth, you'll know you're giving those you love a thoughtful personal gift from the heart and helping to preserve their memories and stories for years to come. Go to storyworth.com slash upgrade and you can save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash upgrade to save $10 on your first purchase. Our thanks to StoryWorth for their support of this show 
at Relay FM. So you mentioned earlier, like, where is the value going to be in this headset, right? Like, if it's going to be $2,000, $3,000. So why don't we pick some things? Why don't we spend Apple's money for them? We're gonna we're gonna invent uh, some things that might be on mm-hmm. the the device. I I did I did send you a message over the weekend. I said I got an idea. Why don't we this talk about what could be in this thing? Mm-hmm. What could be in this thing? Could I start off with what I think? Yes, is please. One of the reasons that they're making a lot of decisions that they're making: very high resolution display inside of the headset. I think yep. that this is the key factor here because you know one of the things that people are saying about the Quest Pro is like. So many things are better about the hardware, but the displays are still not high resolution enough that you can still kind of see pixels. I mean, and we've seen lots of uh, uh, rumors that suggest 8K displays, right? An 8K display for every eye. Dual 8K displays. And this could, if they're building around this, it will make the experience better, you would hope. And they have that foveated rendering thing, which... um, Mm I know PlayStation is going to be doing, and this is where it's like it uses eye tracking to see where you're looking and then just render what's in front of you, which brings down some of the processing power required, especially if you're going to have so many pixels. This is, if they do this high-resolution display stuff, it's going to have a couple of knock-on effects. One, it will be very expensive and difficult to produce. Two, I mean, you can just throw battery out of the window, Mm -hmm. right? Which suggest I mean there have been rumors in the past about the idea of this needing to potentially be tethered. This is going back a long time. I haven't seen it sounds to me like Apple has decided that this has to all be on board, that nobody wants to be connected to a cord. We'll see. But it could need to be tethered or it could need to be tethered to battery or it may just have a very short battery life mm. if it's going to be driving these kinds of displays. Could also make it heavy right with a larger battery so who knows right but i think that going to those kinds of that kind of display technology is going to have a lot of interesting knock-on effects but the hope would be i guess from their side of like if we go to this level we can show a higher quality experience and that's what will push them forward yeah i mean clearly so that brings up something that i wanted to mention which is uh which is content uh, in terms of like video content, yep. And uh, I know we mentioned this in passing from that Mark Gurman report, but I I feel like this has been clear for a while. First off, so many movies still get ma- made in 3D or converted to 3D, and uh, they often have IMAX versions with you know stretched aspect ratios. They're very tall. Um, and I was thinking that uh, if I'm Apple and I've got a a streaming service and I've got a video store that one of the things I'm going to do for any headset that I produce is I'm going to get a a complete library of all 3D movies and IMAX movies that are out there and have that available. And potentially, even if you already bought it on iTunes, you get it in this other form, or maybe you have to buy it separately, or you can rent it or whatever. But And I know you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but who wants to watch a movie with a headset on? Like, I hear you. But I'll tell you that even on the low-resolution Oculus Quest, I have watched some stuff in 3D. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. It's not something I would want to do all day long, but for the length of a movie or a TV show, um, whether if I was on an airplane or something or if I'm just sitting at home, and I've got immersive, presumably, audio as well, like just as a virtual movie theater that's showing you something that the equivalent of like 4K quality... And it's in 3D. 
Um, it's kind of fun. And in fact, I would say it's a way better experience than sitting in a movie theater with cardboard 3D glasses over your eyes because it's bright, uh, because it's not cutting. It's not a single projection with two different fields in it. It's two different eyepieces with two different sets of, uh, of, of frame in them. And so it's, it's a, for me, a better experience than movie theater 3D, even at the reduced quality of the Quest 2. So imagining a much higher resolution screen on an Apple device, I think that that could be really good content. They would also presumably do uh, start saying, no, we need to do 3D conversions of all of our Apple TV Plus content as well. So that stuff's going to be available or, or a lot of it is going to be available in 3D. So if you watch it this way, it's going to blow you away. And I think that Apple... As we've t- talked about here a lot, Apple's interest in doing sports coverage uh, is definitely a place where not just the 3D aspect that's fundamental to having a headset, but also an immersive VR kind of idea where you could choose to have, like they they offer their sports broadcast, but they also offer a VR version that perhaps puts you in a different spot or lets you choose where you are in the stadium and watch it as if you're watching it from a seat uh, with, you know, choose your audio. Um, there are lots of things they could experiment with. Some of them are going to be dumb and some of them might be great, but why not experiment with that, especially mm-hmm. if you're producing your own um, sports programming as Apple sounds like they're going to be doing. So I, I just, I wanted to throw that in there as a thing that I think would help uh, any future Apple headset is just getting some video content for it. I mean, and they have the ability to create video content. They could create specific video content, right? Like- they could. They could do that too. Why yeah. not? Why not do a TV show that's shot in video? They could do that if they wanted to. Like from a fixed position, you could look around you. I don't know if it would be entertaining, but you could do it. By the way, I, I did a quick Google search. So there was a report in the information. This is what messed me up. Um, there were two options that Apple were looking at. One was tethered with a base station featuring what a chip that went on to become the M1 Ultra, and one was a standalone unit. And it seems like they were going down the route of the standalone unit. Yeah, so, with an M2, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was what mixed me up. There was it was in the works at some point, but it seems like it's probably not what they're going to go with. Uh, so talking about content, I think an easy one for me: spatial audio, right? Yeah, they build in some speakers into the headset and have some kind of spatial audio feature. Seems like an obvious one. Apple will say will say they've got spatial audio in everything, right? It's in your laptop, right? So there's no reason why they wouldn't want to do it here too. And I would think AirPods integration as well. So if yeah. you don't want to have the the, because I don't think it's going to be the thing where you put it on and then you it has things that you stick over your no. ears, right? No, 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 it, no. Instead, what they'll do is, and and the Quest does this. It's got speakers in it that are right by your ears that give you that kind of effect. And if you want, you can put headphones on, and it's a much more immersive effect. And so I imagine that that'll be the argument: is you put in some AirPods and they automatically pair, and now you get the kind of complete lockout experience. So people near you cannot hear the sounds that you're hearing because they're just. It's almost like open-backed headphones kind of thing. It's like if you're not wearing headphones and you're doing a VR thing, other people around you can hear you because mm-hmm. they're literally speakers out into the air. But you pop in some AirPods and uh, and yeah. In fact, I would argue Spatial Audio probably was uh, prioritized at Apple because of this project. That's my feeling is that this is a this feels yeah. very much like it's yeah. something that went part and parcel with the headset project mm-hmm. to do spatial placement of audio. Can I throw in another one real quick? And, yeah, because sure. I think you had it too. It's not a draft. You just mentioned the idea of like what well, maybe they created for VR, Memoji. Yeah, I think could have mm-hmm. also been partly created as this idea of like we need I to agree. create lifelike avatars that are expressive, 
and we want to have years of tracking faces and like learning how that can work to create these avatars like this could be a big big thing for them you know like meta have been really made fun of for for the way that their avatars look right this is going back a while now and if apple can make memoji work well and 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 work well in an expressive way inside of vr that that could be a really big deal for them yeah, I agree. In fact, I will um I will then ping pong off of what you just said and talk about uh collaboration because I yep. think that this is so we saw with we've seen uh the latest round of OS updates um that Apple announced in June, they've started to lean into this idea of cloud, you know, iCloud based basically collaboration. And what's funny about it is that it's, you know, it's all on Apple's platforms or the web. Um and yet, you know, they they want to make it a thing. And so I keep thinking about, okay, so they've got like, they've got iCloud document collaboration. They've got SharePlay. They've got Memoji. They've got FaceTime. Roll it all together, right? And and yes, it probably means things like, oh, and, and isn't there a rumor about how they're going to make it so that, that you can just do Memojis with, um, or is that, or can you already do that? You can already do FaceTime with Memoji instead of yeah. you, right? Yeah, yeah. So they, it's all, we're already there. I think it's mm-hmm. Zoom announced that you're going to be able to do that on Zoom now. You're going to have a, like a virtual avatar instead of you. So that's a thing. So the idea of having a FaceTime conversation where one person's holding a phone and looking at the camera and another person is an emoji using a headset, like that's fine. Uh, Zoom has already uh, done things like this, but like Apple's got the whole, all their um, photographic uh, engine stuff where they pull um, subjects out of the background um, which might be a more sophisticated version of what Zoom does, where they detect your background and then they pull you out of it. And Zoom even has a mode that's hilarious where they like put you in a setting. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody in the meeting is at a table, even though it's just the cutout of their body of the video without Teams the background. Teams does this too, of like making right? it look like you're in an auditorium or something. Right. So like, it's not hard to imagine that Apple might use some of that to try and create kind of collaboration environments where people are, are placed in physical spaces in, in VR um, and, uh, some of them have emoji and some of them might even be people's, uh, video images. Mm-hmm. Like I can see them going down that route now. Is that something people want? Yeah. This is horizon workrooms. This, this is what horizon workrooms is. It is horizon workrooms is, is what, is what, uh, Facebook or meta has been mm-hmm. trying to do, but I could definitely see the idea of, um, and, and I'll share play. I mentioned because I talked about movies, right? Well, one thing you could do with watching a movie, I can totally imagine Apple doing this, is you watch it with your friends mm-hmm. in VR mm-hmm. with SharePlay. And and um, if you've never done any of this, like the way I watch video on the Quest is in an app that puts you in a movie theater with a screen. And you yeah. can set how close to the screen you want to be, but they don't put the movie like all the way because it, it's really bad. That's like you're standing in front of the movie screen. Nobody watches a movie that way. They put you in a movie theater and you can actually, I mean, you can have it be like you're on an asteroid or whatever, but they put the, <laughs> the one that I use is you're in a movie theater and there's seats and you can choose how dim you want the lights to be. And then there's the big screen up there and how close you want to be. And one of the ideas there is you could have your friends come and watch the movie with you. So imagine a scenario where it's like share play, share play. but you're in a VR space, yeah. right? But you're in a VR space and your friend's Memoji is sitting next to you and you can talk during the movie and nobody's going to shush you except maybe your friends and you can hear them talk and you can also watch the movie and it's an actual like uh, sharing kind of experience. So I feel like the Apple's going to try all of that stuff. They, again, when we say all the pieces, they've got all these pieces, it does feel like 
in addition to making these pieces available for their existing platforms, they've also been sort of building all the parts to put into a VR product. Yeah, Chaplay. That one, I, I hadn't, as soon as you started saying it, it was like, I felt like the scales were falling from my eyes. Like, mm. Chaplay makes so much sense. Yeah, I don't know if people like it or not, but I, I feel like in some ways... Uh, it might be nice to watch a movie or a TV show with your friends in a mm-hmm. virtual space because it would be less lonely, right? If it's just you with your headset on, it's mm-hmm. just you. It's very solitary. And also, that might actually be a less weird way kind less of like, oh, we're doing a text. Do it yeah. Right? Like, it would just be... Well, but also, like, in a movie yeah, with, with SharePlay, like, if you want to do the video version, like, you've got to actually have you on video, right? Which maybe you don't want to do, but... You right. would have the same, a very similar experience of presence, which is the thing that's really cool about VR, even more so actually, because you would turn to the left and look at your friend. Like, I actually think that, right. that would be a really cool thing to do and would be a fun thing to experience. This is very nebulous, but one of the things that I expect from Apple is like some kind of smart way that you wear the headset. Like, I'm thinking of like Apple Watch bands, right? Like, they really did a good job of how you put the watch on to your body. And at the moment, every VR headset is a clunky experience in some way, like how you put it on, how you have to adjust it, all that kind of stuff. I'm hoping that Apple have come up with some kind of better way of handling that experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like handling that part of it all. Um, so I don't know what that might be, but I just want them to make it more elegant. It's not like Meta doesn't have industrial designers because they absolutely do. Um, it does sound like there's been some criticism about the way that the the design of the new product is, but and, and the Quest Two, you know, it shipped with a terrible headband, and then you could buy one that was good. The new one is better in that they weight it a bit better, like there's more battery mm-hmm. on the back and lighter on the front, and it's got right. this like turning wheel thing, which is better than the Velcro, but Yeah, still well the turning ideal. wheel is on the upgraded version of the of the Quest 2 oh, is it? head strap that I, oh, that I, I bought. That. And it, uh, yeah, oh, it's so much better, the turning wheel, to it's to make it uh, tighter or looser around your head. Uh, it's Yeah, it's, it's a much better design. So all that said, I think about Apple and I know Apple's had a bunch of turnover and all that, but like you would like to think that Apple's industrial design people and would design a really nice headset that would be as comfortable to wear as possible. You would really expect that. I, I expect, I expect them to raise the bar there. I'll be disappointed if they don't, because I feel like, uh, having Apple think about the human experience of putting this on your face (laughs) Like, I would really hope that they have put in some good work there. I don't know what that is either, right? But like you mentioned Apple Watch bands. That's a good example. I've got two more and you've got one more. Um, I am going to say, uh, thinking of services, Immersive Fitness Plus workouts and integration. Mm-hmm. One of the successes, I know, again, if you've never done this, you're like, exercise in a VR headset sounds like bizarre. One of the real successes of the Quest has been the Supernatural workout app and Beat Saber, which is essentially a a workout app game. Um, They are very successful, and you work up a sweat. I, you know, I do that. I do Beat Saber, and I also play uh, 
table tennis with 11 table tennis and uh, you can work up a sweat with both of those things, right? So it's actually a thing, right? Um, because the idea there is you, you exercise might be boring and you can make it more interesting if you strap a thing to your face and show, show you interesting things. So Fitness Plus could be workouts in the studio that are that are more, you know, VR where you're actually sitting among all the people on the bikes or whatever. Uh, it could be uh, moving through real spaces. The idea that when you're doing a bike, they have uh, immersive bike work where you actually are pedaling through an environment and depending on how you're pedaling your um, you know, or or walking on a tr- or running on a treadmill, like you're moving through virtual spaces, so that it's more entertaining that way. Uh, or any, if you imagine the burn bar idea that they have about, like, are you in the back of the pack or the front of the pack, and all that, having a uh, group of other participants, uh, virtual participants, because it's all presumably not live, um, that you're moving through as a motivator of, like, you're behind the peloton or you're ahead of the peloton. Um, that would be interesting too. And then I will throw in also as well, you could even do it based on the video game concept of the ghosts, right? Where you could like do a run workout or a bike workout and see your previous workouts as like milestones Mm -hmm. of like, this is, you're going to be chasing your best workout and make sure you get ahead of them. There's a lot of potential there. And I would imagine that there are people who've thought a lot about this inside of Apple for how you use fitness apps in general and fitness plus in particular uh as one of the ways to do uh uh, you get people to want to use a headset and the last one that i wanted to mention this is a in a conversation i had with underscore david smith a while ago widgets this isn't really a thing about expense like being expensive but just the experience like I could imagine one of the things that they will want you to be doing here is to sit and work with this thing. Like you're actually sitting at your desk and doing work um, and you've got like large displays in front of you that are displayed Mm -hmm. because of, you know, whatever. And I thought it would be kind of cool to use some like AR kind of feature of being able to pin widgets like we see them on iOS, right? Like in different parts of your room. Like I would imagine like you could select some widgets and basically stick them on your wall and you could just turn your head and look at the widgets and go back to what you were doing. Like I thought that that kind of idea Mm -hmm. would be pretty cool if they did something like that using that technology that they've been building in another way. I think it'd be kind of fun. Uh, and I will uh, close out with the reason that I actually um, brought this topic up to you, mm-hmm. which is my moment in reading Mark Gurman say it'll probably have an M2 processor in it. And I thought uh, I was thinking about Horizon Workrooms and I was thinking, you know, I would not put it past Apple to have this headset let you have a Mac on it. And yep. I, I mean, like literally a Mac on it. Like you could do screen sharing to another Mac of yours. That's what Horizon Workrooms does. And with a higher resolution, being able to see your screen. But I was thinking, what if you could travel uh, with this and maybe a keyboard or a virtual keyboard, depending on your your input and virtual mouse or whatever you want. But like, it's an M2. Uh, what if you could travel and not bring your computer with you because you could run Mac OS in a virtual space on it and iOS apps as well on it and create like a virtual work environment that you could boot up that would be on the network and run all your apps and back things up and be a Mac essentially, but in a virtual space. Like I, I don't, again, do you want to work on it all day? No, but I think that there might be something there in terms of being able to run certain apps or get some work done. And if it is a corporate, uh, potentially a corporate and industry 
product as well, having that as a capability. But I just had that moment where I thought, you know, the hardware is going to be able to run Mac OS if it wants to. What if you virtualize Mac OS? And so then you go, you know, you go on your trip somewhere and you bring the headset. And if you need to log into work, you can do that. But you don't need to bring a laptop with you at all. You just bring the headset. It's a wacky idea. And yet mm, they could do it. Or even if it's just a case of like using it as a screen. But yes, it would be more fun to be able to actually just virtualize Mac OS. Yeah. It's going to be running a chip that could do it. So. And friend of the show, Zach, in the chat room says there's no way that they would uh, let them open a terminal on a, a new product class from Apple. But it's like, well, yeah, but what if it's a virtual Mac, right? Like opening the terminal on the virtual Mac or on a – like I can screen share to uh, to a Mac from my iPad and open a terminal window there. It, it, in a certain way, it would not be a big deal because it would literally be like you can run a Mac inside this in the virtual world and it's an actual Mac that's running – inside a virtual machine inside this virtual world like if somebody found that valuable uh sure why not do that and and why not have a virtual like ipad or iphone too if you really wanted to but it just it was that moment where i thought okay horizon workrooms has the thing where you install software on your laptop and then your laptop appears in the virtual world and it's very low resolution but you can sit there typing into your laptop and see the results on the screen i thought okay okay but what if you could just run it you just have a have a Mac in your virtual space that you could turn on, and it was a Mac. Uh, that would be interesting. And uh, I don't know. Who knows? If you enjoy this show, if you really enjoy tuning in to Upgrade every single week, and you want more of it, there's a really easy way to do that. You should just subscribe to Upgrade Plus. You can go to getupgradeplus.com, and you'll be able to subscribe to the show. You'll be able to get uh, longer episodes every single week. You'll be able to get no ads as part of that every single week episode that you get. Uh, you'll get access to a ton of really wonderful benefits, like the Relay FM members Discord will be available to you. And there's, you know, the Discord is great, but you get uh, additional bonus content as well, which isn't just this show, but you get a ton of like monthly content that we do at Relay FM just for members. You get access to a bunch of ever-growing and expanding wallpaper packs that, that we put together. There are tons of great benefits for being a Relay FM member, but if you go to getupgradeplus.com and sign up for $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll get longer ad-free uh, episodes of this show every single week. In Upgrade Plus today, we're going to be talking about Wakanda Forever. We've both seen it, and we want to talk about it. And like maybe in previous weeks, like last week's was really good. We spoke about the disaster of Twitter uh, a lot last week. So that's the thing that's available to you. Go to getupgradeplus.com. You can sign up, support the show, and get bonus content. Let's finish out today's episode with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. John asks, in the discussions about Twitter, I haven't heard much about the one thing that would push me off the service, being forced to use the official app. Surely Elon will cut the third-party clients sooner rather than later, right? What do you think? Um, my feeling, I mean, talk about the missed opportunity, is that for a long time, Twitter should could have made a lot of money by just saying if you want to use a third-party client, you have to be a subscriber mm -hmm. for whatever the cost of whatever became Twitter Blue was, but just make a subscription where like, all right, you want to use a third-party client, that's fine. Pay us $5 a month or $10 a month or whatever. And that is, in addition to all the other features it gives you, it lets you use a third-party client. I'd be okay with that. But I agree with John in uh, in the sense that, yes, if, if Twitter... like. As we said in Upgrade Plus, I have I, I am I find so much value in parts of Twitter that I 
it's unlikely that I'm going to get off of Twitter completely uh, unless it implodes entirely. It's like literally stops working. There is no Twitter left. <laughs> or that all of the information sources that I have that I find valuable disappear from Twitter. Is Then, then it is valueless to me. But I'll tell you, if I can't use my third-party apps of choice, or in this case, it's Twitterific for me. If I can't use Twitterific to be on Twitter or, or any other third-party app, and I have to use Twitter's apps or their website, that will probably be the thing that gets me off Twitter. Interesting. Uh, I think they yeah. 100% will kill them. I'm surprised he hasn't done it already. I just think he just doesn't know, honestly. It's possible, although again, at this point, given uh, that they seem to be trying very hard to come up with reasons that you would subscribe to Twitter Blue, um, I wouldn't put it past them to just say, third-party clients now have to be only for Twitter Blue subscribers. But Twitter Blue still has ads, like... He needs you. He needs all the money he can possibly get, right? I know what you're saying, but like, I don't, I don't imagine it that 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 the API is going to stick around. Well, this requires a level of coherency that I don't think that the company has right now. But Correct. yeah, in the long run, what what should have happened all along was that they should have said, okay, we're gonna instead of saying we're gonna not do the API and you're all gonna die, and the, oh well, not right. You can hang on and be a third party client, but. Uh, it's not going to be very good. What they should have said way back when was, we're going to keep doing the API. We're going to upgrade the API. But here's what's going to happen. You have to be a Twitter subscriber, whatever that is, in order to have access to it in your app. So you're going to have to have a, it's going to have to be connected to an app that is a Twitter subscriber. And separately, um, you are going to, you, the app developer, we are going to, in the API, provide you with ads that you have to show, right? They, they said you have to display, uh, you know, it can't be a star. It has to be a heart. Uh, and it, you have to have these three icons. Like they put all of these restrictions in there, but what they didn't do is say, and also we're going to provide you an ad that you have to display in the feed. They could have, they could still, will they? Yeah, no, probably not because that would require, um, a lot of effort and they seem to have lost half their people. So yeah, but anyway, that's, that's, I think that they could have done that. And I think you're right. Other than the fact that it's just been ignored, um, it, it would seem to be a very easy thing for uh, Elon to hear about that there are third-party clients that don't see ads and don't do an algorithmic timeline and say, just cut them off. I feel like it will happen. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Well, that would that would, that would would uh, probably push me over the edge because my, my Twitter life has been entirely mediated by Twitterific. And if I'm now using the Twitter app or their website, mm, yeah, probably not. I think that, I mean, on but maybe I would say at this point, it's uh, they. He might not get to it before it shuts down, stops working. Right. So, right. what yeah. a battle! What yeah. a battle! It's Listrus or the lettuce. Uh huh. Oh boy. Uh, Michael asks, "Do you think Apple will actually put a USB-C port on the next generation of iPhones, or will they try to find another way to be compliant with the EU rule?" I think everybody's overthinking this. I feel like the USB-C transition in the iPhone was always inevitable. Apple has been making that transition on all of its other products. I suspect that they've been targeting 2023 to do it all along um, and that uh, it has nothing to do with the EU at all. Yeah, and also, I mean, I've I've had a cursory read of the ruling. There kind of isn't a way around it. Like, No. Unless they've... Because I actually don't even think that they could go all chi charging. Like I don't think that that's the thing that they no. could do right now, no. or at least not do easily. 
um, without the EU, especially on their first attempt, getting like nope. all up in their business. In fact, I think this has been a plan for Apple all along um, because we have had those rumors about, well, it's just going to be portless, but it's like that has seemed unrealistic. It's possible that they kept stringing along the lightning port because they hoped that they would never have to do USB-C and they'd just go to portless. But I've never really thought that that was a realistic goal. Um, I feel like you need to do something. Uh, Maybe they've got some, you know, uh, smart connector kind of thing in the works, but they don't have it ready yet. But uh, I... I prefer the simple solution, which is they knew that they were going to bring all their products over to USB-C. It was only a matter of time. Um, That includes the mouse and the trackpad and AirPods cases. And like Mm -hmm. they knew they had to get there eventually, but it is expensive to redesign your product so that they put it off as long as they could. And that the EU will be a uh, perhaps get them to do it a little faster than they would have done it, but that they will do it. And also be a shield, right? It's like a PR And they will blame the EU this time. Yeah. Instead of everybody will be like, oh, Apple, you changed the connector again, like a decade ago when they changed it the last time. It's been a long time. But they're like, oh, Apple, they keep changing the connector every year or two. Not true, but people will say that. And Apple will be like, it's not me, man. It's the EU. It's the EU. They made us do it. Blame the Europeans. It's Brussels' fault. Brussels they made fault. They, they did the sprouts and they mm-hmm. took away your lightning and it's their fault. It's their fault. Richard asks, do you think apps like Uber will actually use live activities? Uber has recently started in-app advertising and live activities would mean users would have to open the app less frequently and therefore would see fewer ads. So I have some thoughts on this. Yes. I am genuinely surprised they have not embraced live activities already because live activities are awesome. I don't think it would change how often people are actually opening the app because Uber has always been very... like forward in the notifications that they send you the push notifications send you about all the information you need right like when when the car's coming they're not like hey open the app to find out the info right like they actually say like your car's nearly here here's the license plate like you don't actually once you've ordered the ride you don't need to be going back into the app to check stuff if you don't want to so i think live activities would still do the same amount you still have to open the app to request the ride so if you want to see the ads you can get that that way and honestly we've seen it uber don't care about sending push notifications for ads they are sending currently push notifications for ads that aren't even their company like there's like peloton ads inside of the uber app that are being sent by push notification like They'll advertise to you as part of the live activity, I'm sure, right? Like, And then it's on your screen. They can show you things like, hey, while you're waiting, do you want to get some food? Like, I don't think that they would... I don't think this is the reason they haven't done live activities. And I want more companies to embrace it. Like, the food company that we have here, uh, Deliveroo, like, I'd like to see them do it. Like, Because yep. the apps that have done it are so good. And so I hope that they will. Again, I, I'm going to be... Uh, sorry to bring everybody down with reality, but like I don't think it's conspiracy here. I, I think that a lot of companies do their iOS development cycles based on the new OS being announced in June and shipping in September, and they put effort into doing their their uh, version updates and doing a lot of work, and they have a whole plan that they're going to come out in the fall with their new version. And then one week from that new version of uh, the OS shipping, Apple announces an entirely new API for this. And 
I mean, for, for the dynamic island anyway. Mm-hmm. Live activities was there before, but like it, it has been, well, or was it there? Or they were they saying it was coming later? It was always a coming later, right? Live activities was a thing that was coming, but the actual coming. API didn't become available until the iPhone event, I think. Because of the dynamic island yep. being a part of it. So that's what I'd say is, uh, let's not jump to conclusions about why more apps are not supporting live activities right now. I think the real answer is, the API didn't get released until September. And on top of that, a lot of companies that build apps sort of had a rhythm for their app development that this didn't fit. Mm-hmm. So give them time. Uh, it's there's probably it's probably going to take some time. I would say let's check back in in June and see how many apps have live activities. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, or you can use question mark AskUpgrade in the Relay FM members' Discord. I'd like to thank our sponsors for this week's episode, StoryWorth and Squarespace, and thank you if you sign up to support the show at GetUpgradePlus.com. If you want to find Jason online, you can go to SixColors.com, and he is at Jasonell, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. And you can find this show and many others over at Relay.fm slash shows. You can find a new podcast to add to your queue if that's what you're looking for. Uh, don't forget as well, go to Upgradies.vote and you can put in your nominations for the ninth annual Upgradies coming your way sometime in December. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. 